And so we are in a series, Father Figures. I love this series. Do you love it? Put in the chat, I love this series. I really feel like God is raising us up to be, uh, the, be in the image of God, to be father figures, to be like Jesus. And it's going to take some time. And I, I really believe that as you engage in these sermons in church on Sundays, I know it's been a while, but if you've missed something, man, go back and watch it because I believe these uh, sermons will collectively come together to really prepare us for what God wants to do. And I'm going to preach a message today that I really believe is going to encourage you. Um, Liam, my friend, is going to love this message because he loves John Mayer. This message is called Love on the Weekend. Love on the Weekend. And I want to read a couple of passages of scripture, but I'm going to start with Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, uh, and it says this. It's a really popular Christmas verse. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, it's talking about Jesus, wonderful counselor, come on, I need some counsel, mighty God. Come on, anybody feel weak? That's giving him names. Everlasting Father. Love that. Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Think about this. The government of Jesus and its peace will never end. The original translation actually says the increase of his government and peace will never end. So peace is always increasing. The kingdom of God is always increasing, even if it doesn't look like it. Even if it doesn't feel like it, peace is always increasing. It says he will rule. You got to watch that word. He will rule. That would have been a, a, a thing that the Israelites would have looked at that word. He will rule. Cool. He's coming. He's going to be a king. With fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of the heaven's armies will make this happen. Anybody want God to make it happen? So what's happening right here is Israel is in a really difficult spot. They've disobeyed God. They've been worshiping idols. And Isaiah is prophesying over them that their final deliverer, their, their, their righteous king is coming. They would have known the prophecy spoken over King David that someone from David's family line would have sat on the throne Forever, God had made a covenant with David called the Davidic covenant that promised David that someone from his family line would have been on the throne forever. And so as kings were raised to power in Israel or as they were in exile in Nebuchadnezzar or Darius or Cyrus would have been over them, they would have said, nope, this is not the Messiah. This is not the leader because they're not from David's family line. If you look at the book of Ezra, when Zerubbabel, this leader would have been raised to power. He was from the the family line of David. So they probably could have gotten hype or excited then. And then, no, it wasn't him because time went on. They were still in exile. And now they hear this prophecy from Isaiah and they're like, oh my gosh, any day now. They would have been really excited. What's really crazy about this verse is Isaiah prophesies over Israel. This beautiful verse, for a child is born to us, a son is to be given to us, to us, guys. And everybody who he said that to was dead by the time Jesus came. Everyone. Can you imagine them getting that word? All right. Son, here we come, Jesus. They were all dead by the time Jesus showed up. 
When God speaks a promise, it often affects generations that are coming after us. And if we only want God to do something in my life right now, our dreams are too small. A real dream, a real God dream affects generations and generations. Generations. Martin Luther King said the famous I have a dream speech, but in his last speech, he said something simple that we overlook. I might not get there with you. He had a dream that was so lofty, a dream that was so anointed, a dream that was so much from God that he was willing to work for something you and I would experience, but he wouldn't. These Israelites, when this was being prophesied over them, the Christmas season was being prophesied over them, yet they never got the Christmas season that was prophesied. We did. The Jesus came, and, 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 and here's what's crazy about this. They would have expected, you, you got to understand this about the Old Testament, every leader they had ever experienced had only moved through political power or military might. Everyone. They'd only moved through political power or military might. This was the only way they expected Christ to come. So what happened hundreds of years later, when Christ finally showed up and he didn't show up with a sword and he didn't show up and, and, and take over Rome and be in office, they missed Jesus because he didn't show up the way that they wanted him to. And, and, I, and I want you to understand something about missing Jesus is that we always pray for revival. We pray for Christ to come. But if we're not careful and we don't let go of our expectations of what we want it to look like, Jesus will come and we will miss it. Some of you, you're not having the Bible studies that you used to. Matter of fact, when the pandemic first started and you were tuning in to church online, you had your laptop open and somehow miraculously the kids would stay quiet and it was so anointed and you're weeping in your living room and now it's December and to be honest, you're tired of hearing from me. And now you feel kind of guilty. You haven't watched the service since September and you're like back on right now and you're trying to catch up and you don't want to catch up. You're just over it. And then sometimes we think because we're not having these like really emotional encounters with Jesus, we can, we can mistake ourselves and go, man, you know what? I, I miss Jesus. I miss the way it used to be. I miss Jesus. But you got to understand the Bible promises that God will never leave you or forsake you. So if you feel like you miss Jesus, you've missed Jesus. I'm going to say that again. If you feel like you miss Jesus, you have missed Jesus. Christ wants to come in your life and show you and reveal himself to you. But he will often do it in a way that if you're not careful, you miss it. What a beautiful prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 that would have excited everyone. But yet, when Jesus came, so many people missed it because he didn't come the way that he, they wanted him to. He didn't do what they wanted him to do. And I'm like, God never does what I want him to do. He never does. He just never does. But, so I have to try to see him in, in what he is doing. This is why it's so hard to follow Christ and the building is closed because we don't realize that we have created a situation where it's just love on the weekend, where all we ever do is encounter God on the weekend. 
It's just Sunday. We look forward. Monday's terrible. Tuesday's terrible. And here, I get to experience love on the weekend. And I know that Christ died on a Friday and was resurrected on a Sunday. And and, and the main event of Christ happened on the weekend. But God did not die on the weekend so you could only feel loved on the weekend. He wanted us to encounter him in such a way that we could live for him and be father figures Sunday through Saturday. Bob Goff said it this way, what some people call ministry, real Christians just call Tuesday. We just do it all the time. It's who we are. So if, if we're not just supposed to experience Christ on the weekend and love on the weekend, then how does God make sure that we experience who he really is? How does God reveal himself our purpose, and our calling. He reveals it in circumstances and situations that make us feel unloved. Because some of the things that God puts me through, I would never put my kids through. I just can't handle it. It's like, you know, you, you ever you got young children when, you're, when, you're, when your kids cry? Sleep training has to do with letting kids cry. So let me get this straight. So if I want to train my kids on how to do something that they should be doing, I need to let them cry. Sometimes God is letting you cry to train you for what he has for you. Oh my God, I'm preaching already. How much time I got? I'm going to land this plane early today. I'm going to land this plane early today. Sometimes God has let me cry to train me. And God doesn't get stressed out like we do when our kids are crying because he knows that the crying is producing the training and he's producing us to live a life of love that is more than just on the weekend. I'm telling you this is important. I think we've, uh, you know, sometimes misled people in in this way, like come to Christ and everything is going to be amazing. And everything's going to be awesome and nothing's going to be hard. And like, you know, it's going to be like a Valentine's Day where, you know, you give your wife or your girlfriend a rose and it's so romantic. And sometimes God doesn't give you a rose. Matter of fact, most of the time, God doesn't give you a rose. You know what he gives you? He gives you dirt. Just here's some dirt. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with the dirt? And then he gives you some water. What am I supposed to do with the water? And then he gives you the seed. What am I supposed to give you the seed? And then he gives you access to sunlight and you have everything in your life to produce a rose, but since it didn't come in a vase, you don't want it. Because it's like, it's so hard. And I'm like, man, I got to be honest. This is hard, but it's worth it. It's amazing. If you follow Jesus, Jesus will lead you to awesome stuff, but he often prepares you to live a life filled with love by putting you in circumstances that would make you question whether he loves you or not. Matthew 3, verse 13, this happened to Jesus. Verse 17, uh, Jesus came from Galilee Galilee to Jordan, to the Jordan, the Jordan River. Um, You know, I I would get baptized in some Jordans and never been baptized in the Jordan, but this is cool. He goes to Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by John the Baptist. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. Uh, Let it be so now for thus is it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
I love Jesus. Jesus was all about love, but he wanted to fulfill everything God had called him to do. And then John the Baptist consented. And when Jesus was baptized, look at this beautiful moment. Immediately, he went up from the water. And behold, do you know something good is going on when they start using words like behold? And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. What a gift. The heavens were open to him. There was a crowd there, but the heavens were open to him. There were people watching, but the heavens opened to him. There was people everywhere, but the heavens opened to him. Can you imagine a moment where there's a room full of people, but the heavens are open to you? And the heavens are open. If the heavens are open, what would you believe? If the heavens are open over your life right now, what would you want? To come out of heaven. Here we go. Here's that uh, Tahoe I always wanted. Here's the house. Here's the career. Here's the booked audition. Heavens are open. Here it comes. I I wonder if Jesus as a son was having that moment. Whoa, I see the heavens are open. What in the world is about to come into my life? Because the heavens are open. Prosperity, money, wealth, a a, a wife, a husband, everything I've been praying about. No, the heavens are open and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And he was high. See, I think what excites us the most if the heavens are open are worldly possessions and worldly things. But for Jesus, the heavens open and God gave him the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and came to rest on him. And behold, there's that word again, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine if that happened to me right now, the heavens open, and I'm just weeping in God's presence at the affirming love of the Father. I, I, I hope you have an experience like that. Has anybody ever had this moment where God would just speak to them and affirm them and say, you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm so pleased with you. I find pleasure in you. Do you know that God is pleased with you? Not because of you, but because of him. We say things that are bad theology all the time, like God loves you just the way you are. I've said that. It sounds so good. It's not in the Bible. You know what the proper term would be? God loves you just the way he is. You have nothing to do with it. Whether you do well, he loves you. Whether you're struggling, he loves you. Whether you're the sin of sinners, he loves you. God doesn't love you the way you are. He loves you the way he is. He cannot help himself. The Bible says when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. He cannot deny who he is. It has nothing to do with you. And the enemy wants you to think that God loves you just the way you are because if you think God loves you just the way you are, you will live under pressure to stay that way. You will. You will. You'll put all this pressure on yourself because if God loves me like this, then I have to stay like this for God to be pleased. God does not love you the way you are. He loves you the way he is. He cannot 
help it. He is love. The Bible doesn't say that what you do, God loves you anyway. It says nothing that you do can separate you from Christ's love. Jesus said this about his disciples. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. We got a grip on our dreams and our goals and everything we want this world to give us, but yet the Bible says Christ clutches us that way. He's so pleased. He's so pleased. He's so pleased with Jesus. I don't know what you've done, but I, I don't... God, God's pleasure with Jesus, I mean, that, that's just amazing. Like, God's pleased. It makes sense. God's pleased with Jesus. It was Jesus. No. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't started his ministry. Matter of fact, we hear the story of Christmas, and then we hear Jesus being born. We hear, like, one story when Jesus was 12, and, and, and they were celebrating a festival, and they lost Jesus. We hear that story in the Bible. By the way, I think so many times we celebrate Jesus with love on the weekend in the big festivals and the big church organization, we lose Jesus too. And they had to trace their steps to find Christ because they lost him in the church service. They lost him with love on the weekend and they had to go find Jesus and they found him in the temple studying the word. And then after that, we don't hear anything else until this moment, 12 to 30, nothing. Jesus, 12 to 30, nothing. Why are 27-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 20-year-olds worry about their future? I say it. I am going to say it again. Why? Your birthday's on Saturday. You're 21. You worried about what you're going to do with your life? If you were Jesus, God didn't even want... Matter of fact, God didn't want anybody to think Jesus did anything from 12. God did not deem it valuable at all for him to say a single word about Christ from 12 to 30 in Scripture. 12, they lose Jesus. 30, he's pleased. What did he do? He didn't do anything. So God picked the perfect divine moment to express his pleasure before Jesus divinely would do anything in performance. He says, man, you are awesome. You are amazing. I know you've just logged in and you haven't watched since May, but God is opening the heavens saying you're awesome. You're amazing. And I'm pleased. He's pleased. I haven't done anything. He's pleased. Well, what would God do for someone that is, he is so pleased with he would open up the heavens to tell them. What would God do for a person like that? A loving, merciful, gracious, sovereign God is so pleased with somebody that he would open up the heavens and tell them personally. Not through Pastor Julian, not through a podcast, but himself. I'm so pleased with you. What would God do in a person's life like that? I can tell you what he did in the very next Thing he did with Jesus. Matthew 4 verse 1 says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hmm? Oh wait, let me just back up. Hold on a second. You know, they're doing the baptism when we used to come to church. It's so happy. 
They're like up there, like plug, plug your nose, like. <laughs> like hair all cute, like. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You ever see someone? It's like, Slah. they come out the water, just everything's just flowing, and everyone's cheering. And right after that, I think we give them a certificate. Christ didn't get a certificate. He got led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? So after pleasure, after pleasure is a problem. I'm pleased, so I'm going to give you a problem. Oh, my God. I'm so happy with you. I'm going to give you a trial, a problem, something to overcome. Wait a minute. This is crazy. It says for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. It'd be easy to fast in LA right now. All the restaurants are closed. It's not right. And he became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, challenging his identity in the next Heaven opened and told him who he was, and the devil tried to make him prove who he was. God said, I'm going to give you my pleasure without performance. You don't have to prove it, and the devil shows up and says, prove it. This is one of the biggest temptations of a Christian, that when Jesus says who you are, that I love you, and, and I'm for you, and I'm with you, the enemy shows up and says, prove it. Grace, you are an anointed songwriter, and the enemy's trying to say, prove it. Some of y'all are great mothers, and the enemy's trying to say, prove it. Some of you are great leaders, and the enemy's trying to say, prove it. Everything God speaks over your life, the devil wants to, in the wilderness season, say, prove it. If you are who God says you are, prove it. Show me. Build the biggest church in L.A. Book all the auditions. Write the song. Win the Grammy. If that's what God said, prove it. The temptation was in the proving of what God had prophesied. Oh, my God. I feel the Holy, I feel the Holy Spirit up in here. It says during that time, during that time, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The reason why God has sent his people into this trial is so that we will no longer come to church and just experience love on the weekend. But he would put us in trials so we could learn not to just understand that God loves us, but in the middle of it, we can say the scriptures say. Because he knows he cannot make you a father figure or a public figure just because you know God loves you. God loves everybody, right? So can everybody just do everything? No, God loves everybody, but you cannot do certain things from being up here to preaching to leading worship to doing what God's called you to do in spaces and in, until you learn to say when the enemy comes to you, no, 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 the scriptures say. And I don't just hear the word, I live off the word. It compared the word to the bread he was craving. 
So he replaced, watch this. Jesus said the enemy tempted him with bread because he knew he was starving. What are you starving for that you could reject from the enemy and replace with the word? And that would be the sustenance that you have. That is love, y'all. And it says then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. He loves to take pastors to the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, jump, do whatever you want. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold up you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord, your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of the very highest mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. God loves us. God loved Jesus and he was pleased with Jesus and put him in a situation so difficult that angels had to look after him. Angels. This is why I am telling you I honestly believe God gave me a word. He's saying, Julian, Oasis, a lot of churches, it was turning into love on the weekend. And I needed to send people through trials so they could understand what love really is. Love is sacrifice. For God loved, so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. The Bible says true love is this, to lay his life down for his friends. And so God does have a plan. God does have a calling. God is pleased with you, but he needs to send you through something to teach you, to, 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 to teach you how to say the scriptures say. So that when the enemy is trying to tempt you into depression, you can say, but the scriptures say. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When your circumstances don't look like things are working in your favor, you can say, but the scriptures say, I walk by faith, not by sight. When your finances don't look right, you can say, the scriptures say, God is my provider. When anxiety is trying to come back, you can say, but the scriptures say, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. It isn't until you learn how to say the scriptures say that you're ready to not just experience love on the weekend, but be so filled with the spirit of God and the love of Jesus that you can be a father figure Sunday through Saturday. This is so, so, so profoundly important. And here's why God does this. God does this is, is because he, he, he knows that Receiving God's love has no requirements, but purpose always have, has requirements. It does. So he teaches us to live our life by the word, and this is the greatest act of love. Could you understand this concept that everything you've been through in 2020 is the greatest act of love? It's not the thing that like, the devil is doing. It's the thing God's doing. And he does this. I, I just, God's like, this is me. This is me. And we make jokes about the governor and doing this and stuff. But he's saying, no, this is me. 
this is me because I'm, I'm loving you. Remember Jesus? God was pleased with him. And in the next verse, Jesus was in the hardest season, the next chapter. God's saying, I, I got to show you. There's so much required to, to, to experience my love more than just in a church service. I think I want to read this passage of scripture and I'm going to skip a few verses because I don't feel like the Lord is going there. But in Matthew 26, 53, verse 54, Peter has uh, sliced off the ear of a religious leader. You want to have a Peter in your corner. You don't like, like, I want, Jesus is always with me, but when it goes down, I need Peter. Because Peter's like, what in the world? Like, what, what, like, what, what, you got, we got a problem? Like, Peter was like, <laughs> Peter was like, the Roman soldiers came and Peter pulled off and sliced off homeboy's ear. He wasn't really, like, he wasn't really good with his sword, obviously, because he didn't stab him. He just like, <laughs> just like, it's just a weird injury. Like, <laughs> like, like, I would have stabbed him. You know what I mean? I would have cut off his arm. Like, he just sliced his ear off. Like, it just makes no sense. Um, and this thing that Jesus said to Peter, I mean, I don't get it, but Jesus definitely got it because he said this to Peter, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Jesus gets affirmed. God says that he's pleased with him. Ends up in the wilderness and the angels attend to Jesus to heal him over what happened in the wilderness And Jesus says, I could call on those same angels to get me out of what I'm about to experience. Don't you know that I could call on my father? And he would at once. Here's what's crazy about this. And this is why I don't want us, I really want us to understand that Jesus sends us through trials so we can learn how to love. Because this is one of the greatest loving things I've ever heard. He will at once he didn't say, I could call angels, but God wouldn't do it because he wants me to die for you. He said, I could call on angels and God would at once send them. He would. He didn't say he wouldn't. He said he would at once get me out of this. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? I, I, I want you to understand the word of the Lord to to you and I right now is everything that you, God spoke to you is true. The way you thought it was going to happen is a lie. You thought it was just going to be smooth. You thought it was just going to be smooth. You thought you was going to skip into your promise, not limp into it. The word is true. Especially if it's like, if it's like, a real word from God, it's true. The way you thought it was going to happen, because Jesus could have died, but he said, no, it's not that just that I have to die. I have to die this way. 
Christians say, I'm calling on my heavenly father and he is not answering. But Jesus said, I could call on my heavenly father, but I won't. I don't need to. I've been affirmed. So then not only do I have to prove myself to God, I don't have to prove myself to God, but I am so filled with love, God does not have to prove himself to me. I don't have to prove myself by performance, and God does not have to prove he is God by doing what I want him to do. Because it's got to happen this way. And we will not understand the love of God And we will only be infatuated with love on the weekend if we don't understand there is no greater act of love and humility in human history than Jesus dying on the cross. There's no greater act of love. If you don't understand that what Jesus did on the Christ is the greatest act of love, then you will only understand God's love through lesser acts, through what God could do for you that you want him to do this year or in your career or or for you? What does God allow you to do in this earthly kingdom? He's already expressed the greatest act of love. And if we don't understand that, then it just becomes about the weekend. And I really feel that God is getting ready to open up churches everywhere, but it ain't going to be love on the weekend. People are going to be filled with God's spirit and really understand love. Jesus wants to take you places you couldn't possibly imagine. A life where you love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength. A life where you love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's going to take you to places you couldn't possibly imagine place is so amazing because he loves you. But I want to remind you that on your journey, what you will be carrying. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26 says this, Jesus then told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wait, what? Wait, what? So as I follow Jesus into all my purposes and plans, I'm not carrying a Louis bag for all the money. I'm carrying a cross to die on. Because the only, we don't want to preach that part. Yes, God is taking you. The Bible says that God is going to give Jesus all the kingdoms when he returns. Mm -hmm. But the path to his kingdom was the cross. The path to your purpose is your cross. The path. So when I said a public figure, when I say God wants to bless you, yes, don't pray to get out of it because when you pray to get out of what you're having to die to in this season, you're also praying to get out of what you're called to in the next. I'm going to say it again. When you are praying to get out of what God wants you to die to in this season, you're praying, out of what, you're praying to get out of what God has called you to in the next season. You are following Jesus into the most favor-filled, blessing-filled future you could possibly imagine. And it is not just heaven. The Bible says we obey him. He gives us blessing in this life and the one to come. It is so amazing, but you're carrying the cross so that every time someone offends you, you just stretch out your arms 
and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Every time you feel tired and exhausted, you just let those emo- you let that stuff die. You die to self. You let Christ said he was God said he was pleased and then made him die. Yeah. And, and and back in the day we used to say uh, to the homies like, man, let, let him live. When he was making fun of somebody, like let him live. God was like, no, we're gonna let him die. I'm pleased with him, but I'm gonna let him die. I'm pleased, but I'm gonna let him die. God is pleased with you. And that pain you are feeling in this season is killing something in you that would have killed God's purpose in your life. We're seeing pastors and influential people just fall. And the thing that they did not put on the cross put their purpose on the cross instead. That's scary. So if I got to go, I got to go. Paul said his purpose was so huge, he died daily. Can I be honest with you? If you want to live a life of love that's not just on the weekend, every single day is both a birthday party and a funeral. You're both weeping and rejoicing. And I want to speak this over someone who spent the entire year crying. The Bible says that those who sow in tears will reap with joy. So if you haven't been crying, you probably haven't been sowing because the tears are a sign that you've been sowing and God promises that you will reap with joy. I want to I pray for you because right now, I feel like somebody's been just feeling unloved because things have not just been working out the way that you were Hoping and 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 you're you're even saying things like, man, everything was great when I could go to church. I can't wait to go back to church, and I can't wait to go back to church either. I'm not saying that you should not want to come back to church or that we don't miss it because we do, and this is not okay. There's no way we should not been able to see each other since March. That is not okay. But what I am saying is that God did not die on the weekend, so that could be the only time you experience love. And he needs you to understand to feel divine love from God in the middle. Think about this, that God needs to train you by letting you cry. And it is not an act of anger. It's not that he's not pleased with you. It's because he loves you. And he needs to teach believers how to experience heaven's love while they're facing hell's opposition. And if we don't learn how to experience heaven's love while we are facing hell's opposition, then when we gather, it's just love on the weekend, dude. That's it. And that doesn't heal or help anybody. So I'm going to pray. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit is going to meet you in the middle of this opposition that is the devil. But the Holy Spirit has led us there to show us what love really is. It is sacrifice. It is faith. And it is a hope that can never die. So Father, I thank you for someone who's just even as they're listening to this message, questioning whether or not God loves them because of what they are experiencing. And, and, and through the scriptures, we've learned that, God, you opened up the heavens and told Jesus he loved him. And then his next chapter was the hardest uh, maybe that he would experience on this earth 
short of dying on the cross. And so God, we follow you into all of our plans and all the purposes that you have for our lives, but we follow you with our cross in hand. Not our wish list, not our journal where we wrote down everything we wanted God to do. We follow you, Jesus, with our cross. And along the way, we die to our own uh, selfishness. We die to our own um, desires. We die to our own fears and concerns. And we trust that we are following a shepherd that will lead us to green pastures and still waters. Father, we proclaim right now that we trust you. And even that shepherd that had to lead the sheep to those still waters and green pastures would have had to lead those sheep through the wilderness to get there. And so, God, we know that this stop right now that we're on is not our destination. And we just proclaim in your presence right now that we trust you, we love you, and all of our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen.